don't be annoyed by anyone who does wrong, and don't envy them. They'll soon disappear like grass without rain. Trust the Lord and live right. The land will be yours and you will be safe. Do what the Lord wants and he will give you your heart's desire. Let the Lord lead you and trust him to help. Then it will be clear as the noonday sun that you were right. Be patient and trust the Lord. Don't let it bother you when all goes well for those who do sinful things. Don't be angry or furious. Anger can lead to sin. All sinners will disappear, but if you trust the Lord, the land will be yours. Sinners will soon disappear, never to be found, but the poor will take the land and enjoy a big harvest. The Lord protects his people, and they can come to him in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and saves them from the wicked because they run to him. May this be to us words from the Lord. Hello and welcome to the Lectio Cascadia podcast. My name is Brandon Rhodes, and I'm glad you're here. Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Said it right that time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, thank you to Kevin McLeod for the music. So, this is quite the passage to get into. I wanted to communicate so many ideas in this episode, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't handle it. Uh, it. It touches on some of my favorite ideas and intuitions. So, uh, I like spent the week cracking open this big epistemology book and just got I got carried away by the whole thing. It was it was good. So. Uh, I'm going to cover a lot of ground today, and uh, yeah, I'm like, I wish I had turned this into like several episodes because I'm so excited about what I get to explore. So uh, thank you for, again, for joining. Let's get into it. So do you know how many planets are between Earth and Sol, our star, the sun? Yeah, two. Yep. Uh... Do you remember where you learned that? How do you know that you know that? How do you know that you're right? Have you been up in space? Have you used a telescope to see our celestial sisters Venus and Mercury? Did you make sure to comb the entire void between Earth and and the sun to be sure that there aren't any more planets out there? How do you know? How do you know? What does it mean to say that you know? Now, if you're anything like me, and I pray to God that you aren't, <laughs> uh, you, you, you just know. You know that you know, but you don't know how you know. You know? So it turns out uh, knowing is just a lot more complicated than we usually assume. In part, I think, is because it's so close to our skin. Knowing is so intimately entwined with how we live in our bodies and our communities. It's how we touch reality. As part of just what it means to be human, to have a body, to have a mind capable of, well, knowing. Uh, as part of all of that, means knowledge is entangled in the magic of our humanity. Our humanity mediates and transcribes and take, gives shape to what it, what it can mean for us to know at all. Here's what I mean. My line of questioning about space, uh, when I asked you how you know there aren't more planets, 
between Earth and the sun. Maybe for some of you, some of you the idea flashed into your mind. Well, I, tr- I trusted someone. That's how I know. <laughs> I trusted someone, someone who, who does these things. I trusted them. I trusted those who have a dedic- who've dedicated their lives to discerning the firmament and describing it for us, coming to know its subtleties, its weightiness, and its movements. Trust. Trust. It's not a word that's always connected to knowledge. Knowledge, to some folks, is about facts. It's about information. Uh, so acquiring knowledge is a big info dump. Um, to them, having personally combed the heavens with a telescope is a richer knowing than trusting astronomers. But that's not how real life works. Real knowing, everyday knowing, is built around trust. Trusting that our bodies are able to approximate reality to our consciousness. Trust that reality is predictable and normative for our bodies to be able to pick up on and um, present to our consciousness. And trust that our memory of previously acquired knowledge is dependable and a dependable guide for that input we have about reality. And finally, we're trusting those who taught us how to learn. Have indeed, we're trusting that they have taught us faithfully. And trust finally, extra finally, (laughs) uh, also that the wider web of knowing of how reality works, we're trusting in that web. The things we already know that help us know new things. So these may be insights that you maybe didn't directly develop or verify, but have worked well enough so far. They've been faithful guides to you so far. So knowing involves trust, a form of not knowing. Knowing needs not knowing. I love it. (laughs) To know is to not know. To apprehend, one thing is to let yourself be apprehended by many more. Our most fundamental connection to everyday things, from listening to this podcast to a conversation to study, is built on contradiction. This contradiction, this paradox, knowing, is built out of not knowing. Now, it gets weirder. You also don't know anything alone, or you don't come to know anything alone. You always know with. That's what this trust thing does. You trusted others to guide you to what you know, and you trusted even reality. You trusted reality to be trustworthy, predictable. Reality is personal in some way, or maybe how we connect to reality is personal. Reality, if it's to be known, must be trusted which means reality must be trusted as a thou, as a you, not an it. As a gift, not as a thing. <laughs> wow. So, uh, I want to make, make this even stranger um, before we get anywhere close to the Bible, which you're probably waiting for. Uh, I want to make this stranger. So, I want to ask you again about something else. Omelets. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect that. Uh, omelets. Uh, do you know how to make an omelet? Do you know how to make an omelet? I want you to think about how you learned that, if you happen to know. 
how to make an omelet. Now, does that count, that knowing how to make an omelet, how to chop things up, get them all cooked in the eggs, and then you, you know, flip it, fold it, does that count as knowledge? Are you sure? Did you read it in a book and get it right the first time? Did you read it on a cooking blog? Did you watch a YouTube video? Did someone like a mom or dad tell you how? And then just them telling you was wham, now you know how to flip an omelet. You know just when it's ready. Of course not. Um, that's That helps get you started. That launches you perhaps into it. But actually what launched you was desire, desire to make it. So desire preceded learning or apprehension. Desire preceded and motivated this attempt to know how to make an omelet. Then you learned how with someone. You had a guide that you trusted. So, wow. Of course, just having these, le learning from a, a blog or a YouTube video, that's not enough to count as like, the, it doesn't count as the fullness of knowing. Of course, you didn't really know how to make an omelet without actually trying it. You had to flip the omelet yourself with your body. You kind of knew because you'd seen it done or someone told you or whatever, but yet you didn't really know. You had to actually be present to the eggs cooking in the pan to know by sight in the smell, the changes of smell, when it was time to, in its cooking process, to fold or flip. And then you had to learn how to do that with a spatula or whatever instrument you were doing. You had to do, learn how to do that with your body. Your body didn't know how to make an omelet until you actually made an omelet. Your head knew what goes into it, but your body didn't know. And then you taste what your knowledge produced. <laughs> uh, one that you made yourself, and it tastes so good. Well, maybe not the first one, but uh, they, they, they come to taste lovely. There's a richness to the total experience of what you created because of the intimacy you had with it. And that experience, that knowledge folds back in on, folds more delight back in on your interiority. That dopamine kick of success. You actually learned it, how to do something. You know something new. God, that's successful. Or it's satisfying. So knowing involves trust, involves others, involves our body, involves tradition. It involves something like delight or anticipation or participation. This is what all goes into knowing. Now, why does this matter? What does this have to do with anything, especially the psalm from the lectionary this week? Had you already, you have, did you forget that it was a psalm? <laughs> it's okay if you did. I've been talking about like, you know, space and eggs. So what do planets and omelets have to do with the lectionary reading? Everything. To elaborate, 
on everything. <laughs> I'm going to ask a third question. How do people change? How do people change? Does reading a good book or blog post or attending a class or hearing a great sermon or <clears throat> uh, hearing a good podcast episode, <laughs> uh, does that do it? Does that change people? Does that change you? Well, it, it, it can help. It really can. Especially you have, if you have preceding experiences that come to mind as you read that blog, hear that lecture or sermon or podcast. Your experience and your new information resonates with what's already in you to create new knowledge. Kind of like how music works. But there's really more to it. Uh, the, the, the info dump that you're getting from me right now over this podcast, the info dump that you get in class or from a sermon or a blog post isn't the same thing as knowing or learning or being changed. You may have new information, but you may not know it. It may be stored in you, but it doesn't live in you. That's why better Sunday school classes or better sermons or even uh, better podcasts, they're not enough to actually change people. We think that kind of knowledge is enough. It's not. People will say the biggest, people say things like, you know, the biggest thing you'll get from college won't come from the classroom, <laughs> which is such an indictment of how we learn uh, or we think that people will learn. Uh, the info dump doesn't change you. It's the community and ritual of learning together outside the classroom that changes. You know, we, we, know, we know this intuitively that, that information and knowledge are the same thing and that more information is what will change people. We see this lie everywhere. <laughs> We look at folks who read the Bible all the time. Their Bible is just underlined on every page, and they're just miserable assholes. <laughs> is their Bible changing them? <laughs> just because you have information doesn't mean you know shit. You have to get out there and live it and try it. There's an experimentation. There's trust. There's courage in getting out of the mire of information and into the nourishing pools of knowledge. The word has to become flesh. And in turn, you must put your enfleshed experiences back into words, which then becomes flesh, and around and around it goes. You have to put down the iPad with the omelet-making YouTube video on it, and you have to grab the spatula crack some eggs, and give it a go. We don't think our way into a new way of living. We live our way into a new way of thinking. Our knowing, our gloriously vulnerable, embodied, trusting, shared knowing, that's what changes our minds. When we touch reality as gift instead of thing, we are changed. Not by info dump 
but by touch, by trust. Swirled within all of this is, yes, love. That desire to create, to know, to discover, to encounter reality as gift. It all requires love. Now, this, of course, is nothing new. Uh, the Hebrew word for knowing is yada. Uh, uh, Adam knew his wife. Yada, his wife. Now, <laughs> uh, that word is actually uh, the same word for having sex. The same word for, in some, some, at some resonance, love. To commune intimately, to risk the creation of something new together, to love in, in, in vulnerable, embodied trust with another. Yada. To speak of knowledge out of this ancient tradition of reflection is to speak of love, is to speak of sex. Our hearts are changed as we come to know, as we come to yada. When we reach out, outside of ourselves, in love, we learn and grow and change. Knowing doesn't fill your brain, it changes your heart. When we genuinely practice the pursuit of knowledge, when we yada the world, our desires are nurtured and they're transformed. Our desire, our longing, our love comes freshly to us as gifts of encountering reality as much as necessary participants of that yadaing. When we are speaking of how to help one another and ourselves grow in the Jesus way of being human together, what some church folk might call discipleship or Christian formation or catechumenate preparation. We must not speak of info dumps. They won't change anyone that is crass and sterile. We must speak of true knowing, of yada, of lovemaking with reality. We must step forward in trusting the way of Jesus, the way of the Lord. We must experiment our way outside of the classroom and into the real world of our neighborhoods and homes and the wild to be truly transformed. Our hearts and our affections are lived into before they are lived out of. They happen really truthfully together. When we try the Jesus thing out, we come to know it. We come to desire freshly. Or as the psalmist wrote, trust the Lord and live right. The land will be yours and you will be safe. Do what the Lord wants and he will give you your heart's desire. May your week ahead be filled with curiosity and wonder, gratitude and laughter, courage and presence. And may the peace of Christ be with you. Mm -hmm.